Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of film, director, actor, genre, or franchise, whatever it is, it's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And this month we're talking about... Musicals. And this week we are talking about... The Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Do they? Do they really? I don't know. Do you? I'm a, I'm a fan of, uh, you know, the the, the dark-haired kind of girls. You Brunette? Know. Yeah, those ones. Okay. But, uh, yeah, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, starring Marilyn Monroe, uh, starring Jane, Jane Russell. Russell, directed by Howard Hawks. Uh, this is a movie with one of the most iconic sequences in film. Yes. And it's probably a movie where everyone's seen Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, but not many people have actually seen the whole movie haven't seen the movie or haven't seen the sequence itself you know because it's a popular song it's a popular like phrase right yeah but i'm kind of fascinated by this movie are you a, a little bit because you know it's a movie that is it's a musical right yes there's what five six musical numbers in the movie there's not like that many no it, it's not like you know it's back to back to back it's like no we actually have storyline musical number storyline and it fits really interesting here because we just finished talking about sound of music. We did singing in the rain before that, where yeah. they are music again every five ten minutes, right? Yeah. There's like an hour of this where there's just no musical number, or like forty five minutes. It's a lot of space in between. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about this one because this is your first watch, right? Uh, this is I've I've seen again. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I've seen that sequence a couple of times, but. I've never seen the whole movie. I actually have. I actually had no idea the context of what the movie was actually about. Mm -hmm. I knew it was like Marilyn a Mar Monroe. Marilyn Monroe movie. I didn't really see or know that Jane Russell was in it. I haven't really seen any Jane Russell movies. This might be the only one. Yeah. And I was always like, well, is it like they're competing in this like musical thing? Is that what it is? But we'll get into what the movie's about in a second. But this was your pick. Yes. Why'd you pick it? When was the last time you watched it? First time you watched it? Um, you know, opening I thoughts. I picked it because it's it's not like Singing in the Rain where it's a lot of, you know, action back to back to back. But it's one of these big Hollywood musicals. And it just, you know, the vibrant colors, the dance numbers, the sequences. I'm like, this is very Hollywood. And not too many people have seen it. And I wanted to kind of bring, you know, life back into it because like you had said earlier... People know the song, or they've seen the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend sequence. They know the Monroe look from the movie. They know the Monroe look, but it's like, you know, uh, Jane Russell gives such a good performance in this movie, so does Marilyn, and it's just, you know, this friendship, and it's so funny, even though, you know, serious things happen in the movie. Yeah, but it's it's a thing where it's like there are serious things going on in the movie, but it never takes itself seriously. No. It's through and through a comedy. Yeah, it's a comedy, uh... A musical comedy. The last time I saw this was maybe a few years ago. I try not to watch this because I don't like ruining movies that I really love. It, it's one of those things where you can get burned out, especially on musicals. Yeah. Because you can get a, a song stuck in your head and you play that song in your head a million times and you kind of get sick of it. Yeah. But the first time I saw this was, I think, in high school. This was like when I was really like living off of turner classic movies mm -hmm. and my mom introduced me to this and it was my first marilyn monroe movie because everyone knows who marilyn monroe is but you know once you finally see her in a movie it's like she's not just a beautiful woman she's a very talented woman 
she's kind of an anomaly if you really look at the breadth of her career, right? Yeah. Because well, we're going to get into Marilyn Monroe, but I want let, to... Let's give everybody the back of the box before we get ahead of ourselves Let's here. do it. So, for those who have never seen Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and want to know the gist of what happens, we got the box here. <clears throat> Dorothy and Lorelai are a pair of cabaret singers and best friends who try to navigate the crazy road of love to find a man to marry. Lorelai is engaged to the son of a wealthy businessman and is whisked off to France for the wedding. But when her fiancé can't accompany her, Dorothy tags along as a chaperone until they meet again in Paris. But Lorelai is now on the lookout for a suitor for Dorothy and maybe a richer man to steal her heart. As they cross the Atlantic, Dorothy becomes enthralled with Malone, who is secretly a detective sent to tail Lorelai and make sure she stays true on her trip. Once they arrive in France, Dorothy and Lorelai become accused as thieves. Dun dun dun. That when the drama shows up. Yes, it does. Uh, due to a misunderstanding between a diamond mogul and Lorelai, who M- Mr. Piggy is a is yes. a can of worm we'll get into. Yes, we will. Um, but with Malone's help and clever thinking by Dorothy, the two clear their names just in time for their now double wedding. Aww. Aww. But yeah, the plot of the movie's pretty like one, two, three, we're out we're out in yeah. in ninety. Which this is like the perfect length for, for this kind of movie. Ninety minutes in and out, doesn't take too long. You're doesn't just doesn't drag. You're just vibing. Yeah, yeah, this movie is really great pacing. You don't feel like, ooh, this could have been cut or man, the scene is just going. No, it's just you start it and then it ends and it's like, really? It's very economical. It's yeah. it's um Howard Hawks. You know yeah. we talked about him in the Awful Truth, the Big Sleep, Big Sleep. He is one of the most like economical, like by the books, chameleon like directors. He can do any genre. This pretty much convinces me that he can do kind of anything. He invented the screwball comedy with bringing a baby, Awful Truth. Mm-hmm. He can he basically solidified like the t- stereotypical noir with the Big Sleep. He's doing. A big, you know, Broadway-esque musical of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes here. Like, the the guy had a range. Yeah, and I mean, this movie itself was also kind of an anomaly because this was the first, one of the first movies based off of a Broadway play. And it was an issue where, I guess, Lorelai was played by Carol Channing in the play. And when they made this movie, they didn't even consider bringing her on. Well, they didn't even consider Marilyn Monroe, from my understanding. I think they wanted Judy Holiday. Yeah, at first. they wanted her, and even Judy Holiday was like, "I think this belongs to uh, Carol Channing, not me." And then they brought in Marilyn Monroe, and even that was, you know, an issue because they didn't treat Marilyn so good on this movie. Let Let's talk about that because Marilyn Monroe has a very complicated career in history, right? Because yes. she's a person who's considered an icon, right? Yes. But if you look at the breadth of her career, she she's not in that many just banger out of the ballpark movies, mm-hmm. right? It's like three or four. Yeah. Uh, some like it hot, Jump for blonde, seven year itch, and um, Niagara. That's another good movie. Um, you, she, you see when in... you start pull after you hit like the big three, it starts gets kind of hard to pull um, some more out. Right? Monkey business with Cary Grant. That's another really good movie. I think that was also by Howard Hawks too. It wouldn't surprise me, but but I, I bring it up because with a lot of these stars, you know, these big stars that have just, you know, um, transcended generations, like your Bogarts, your Brandos, they're in, like, 
hundreds of movies, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're in a bunch of them, and it's just like, well, the sheer wealth of their acting career makes it worth it. Yeah. Or like a James Dean, where he made like three or four movies and He made died. three movies, and that was it. And But the thing is, it was like he had so much promise, he was such a great actor. Mm-hmm. Monroe feels like she pegged on to a cultural zeitgeist that just wasn't ready yet. Yeah. Because she was kind of the first, like, big Hollywood like bombshell bombshell that Hollywood like produced and sent out to the masses right but didn't know what to do with her yeah I mean she she, we could get into a whole uh different discussion on the crazy life of Marilyn Monroe but I'm curious about this her in the movie she she has she's a a type right yeah she's the the breathy blonde Mm -hmm. like I'm oh what a what's a little old girl like me with double d cups doing in a place like this (laughs) Like you, sure, she okay. has a she has a she's like a, a type of actress, right? Yes. So is she a like a great actress? Is she like a, a James Dean where a lot of promise died too soon, or is she this kind of like Elvis who was a product of this pop culture machine that's just been perpetuated? I know big <sighs> questions to start off the episode with, right? Evaluate Marilyn Monroe's icon status. I think it's a yes and no. I mean. I think once you see, like, Niagara, you really see the range mm-hmm. of her acting. But I think she just had to deal with so much crap in Hollywood that it really kind of burned out her star a little bit. Because, I mean, this movie, uh, Jane Russell was paid 200000 for it. Mm-hmm. And Marilyn was paid 500 a week for it. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, yeah, you know, Jane Russell went on to have a career and a musical career as well. And it's like, we don't know what Marilyn would have done next, but it's just, you know, this is Marilyn Monroe and you want to throw $500 at her a week when she's the star of the movie? Well, to, I mean, to combat that idea, because this is in 53. Yeah. And she wasn't like a huge star yet. Like she was big, but she wasn't like headliner, like just yet because again i think she hits her peak in some like it hot when she is like max star power and that's in like 59 57 yeah i'm so not she's sure a... when when some like it hot comes out but i, I think that's my my oh, thinking seven year itch seven year itch like but those i think come after jen for yeah. prefer blondes so i'm thinking you know this is on her way up jane russell's probably the bigger star here and it's it's just one of those things where every time i look at Marilyn monroe i'm like Okay, I get it. You are like the 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 sex symbol of this old school classic Hollywood, you know, iconography. Like you have an aesthetic, you have a style that has mm-hmm. just been parodied and carried over. But I've always wondered if she was a great actress or not because again, she's I've only ever seen her in like three movies. Yeah, but I think I figured it out. She's a great comedian. Yes, she's very funny. I think that's the key here. Because she did, like, the method and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, she was really big into trying to become a great actress. She was way better just being, like, easily funny. Like, she's a great comedic person. I don't know if she can do Shakespeare, but if she can get a laugh out of, think, anybody. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, one of my favorite parts in the movie is at the end when she speaks to her fiancé's father. And they're having this whole discussion about how she's, you know, just in for it for the money. And, you know, she goes on and she gives a speech and she's like, well, no, I'm in it for your money. I love him, but I want your money at the end of the day. And she explains why, because, you know, you know, well, if you had a daughter, wouldn't you rather she be with, you know, a man that has a good job and can take care of her? You wouldn't want her with a poor man. 
And she, man, you're pretty smart for for a girl. Hmm. No, that's why he goes. Say, I thought you were stupid. And I was like, that's one of my favorite quotes from the movie because he just catches her off guard. And then she goes, you know, basically more. I forget what the quote is, but more or less, you know, I am smart, but men don't prefer that. And it's like, it's like she's good, you know. She can play this whole, you know. She has great delivery. Great delivery. Great delivery. She can play the doe-eyed, innocent character. You know the. You know, I'm just pretty and, you know, I don't have too many thoughts in my head, but I'm pretty. And it's like, no, girl's got it. She's, you know, she's she, on the ball. Oh, yeah. No, she's she's got game. She right? does. And it, I think that's the thing. Like, the Monroe persona, I think, is overshadowed the Monroe performer. Mm-hmm. Because her as an actual, like, actress and thespian and all that stuff. She's really, really good in yeah. these very comedic roles. And I think that's the thing that people don't like remember her so well for they're like well she never she never had like a big dramatic run she never she never had like the Meryl Streep performance she never had a Katherine Hepburn performance no because she was you know the sex symbol and that's what people focused on and it's like no she has talent you know she can give a great performance she's got great delivery she could sing that was an issue with her and with Jane Russell they wanted to dub both of their voices in the movie and it's like why they're both very talented but that that's you know some of the hiccups that they faced in the making of this movie where it's just like you know you've got two really good actors here trust your actors and speaking of trusting the actors here right we talked about monroe right there, mm-hmm. there's a whole can of worms there and oh, it's yeah. a, it's a it's a double-edged sword right double-edged sword every fascinating life very fascinating but she was second built here jane yeah. russell is the lead yeah what are the merits of Jane Russell as your leading lady in this movie? Because you have Jane Russell and you have her standing next to Marilyn Monroe, right? Yeah. And Marilyn Monroe is one of those people who's like kind of a Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. where no matter what they're doing, your eyes are just kind of like drawn to them. Like, I mean, especially you know? how they wanted to keep her the only blonde in the movie. And she was very much, you know, I'm going to be the only blonde in the movie. And it works because if you look around, nobody else is blonde in this movie. And it's just, it makes her. That much more... A standout, way more poppy in every scene. You know, she just catches your eye. If it's not her hair, it's her clothing. I mean, the costuming is so beautiful in this movie. Well, well we we don't get into the costuming here. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Oh, man. Uh, there, there's some costumes in here where I'm... Uh, well, I'm A little hot under the collar? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Yeah, but um, the, the Jane Russell thing, she... How does she come off to you in the movie? Oh, I love her. Oh, I think she's a great, she's a great wise-ass. She's a perfect foil to Monroe. I'm wondering why they never made more movies together. Because they seem like, almost like the Tony Curtis, you know, Jack Lemon of, of like, women actresses. Yeah, I I mean... This feels like the female end of Some Like It Hot, almost. Yeah, that was a couple of interviews that I had read from Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe, where they both said that they enjoyed working with each other. I don't know if it's just the thing... You know, I don't know what studios they were also billed to, so who knows, it could have just been like this lightning in a bottle, you know, where these two finally came together. They and were both at Fox at one, for like a month or whatever, yeah, and this came in. and it, you know, it was this amazing product that came out, and then maybe they went back to their, you know, studios that they have licenses with or um, contracts with, and it just never happened. But yeah, there's plenty of reviews where they enjoyed working with each other, and I think uh, Jane Russell really took care of Marilyn on the set because it's just she kind of went through the ringer making this movie 
Howard Hawks kind of had issues with her because Marilyn's the kind of actress where she could do it in a take, but she wants to take multiple takes just in case she can do it better another time. And Howard Hawks is very much... She was very self-conscious about her work. Yeah, and he was just like, no, I'm good with a one and done, and we're out onto the next scene. Wait, it really makes you kind of think about it, because... Howard Hawks, he does come off as kind of this, like, workman-like director mm-hmm. who, he works in all these different genres, and the movie here really is structured kind of, like, perfectly. But the thing that always, like, that, that kind of irks me about Howard Hawksian's, Howard Hawks' style mm-hmm. is he's almost styleless. Yeah. You know, you know, you know how, like, a lot of, like, film people talk about the auteur, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, Hitchcock, oh, they're... This shot, obviously, it's Hitchcock, how yeah. he frames things. Oh, there's there he goes, like, five minutes without a single line of dialogue. He's trying to do it all visually. Mm-hmm. Or, like, oh, Spielberg. Oh, there's this, like, nice lens flare. And, like, oh, there's a little bit of shaky camera. And around. Like, there's David a, Lynch, the scene continues, even though... it's Yeah, the scenes drag out for very long periods of time. There's very little cutting sometimes. But with Hawks films, I'm almost like, bro, there's, there's, like, almost nothing here. Like, it... It, it is fascinating that his whole auteurist aesthetic is that he has no aesthetic. I think it's just his versatility. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I've seen this movie for years. And, you know, granted, I, I'm learning more about directors on this podcast. I'm more just, you know, a movie and actors person. I don't really get into the lives of the directors. And, you know, once I saw it for the research, I was like, holy shit, you know, The Big Sleep. We just talked about that. But, yeah, I think he's just so versatile that he's able to do these movies and he does this flawlessly and you don't know who the director is. Yeah. There's no tell. Like you were saying, like a Hitchcock or a Lynch. Yeah. There's no shot. There's Mm -mm. no sequence. There's no line. There's no like, like little wink at the, at the audience being like, guys, like you, you know what's going on. It, it's a fascinating chameleon like thing Mm -hmm. that a director can do. Yeah. Um, but where, where did you want to go from here? Let's see, we were talking about Jane Russell. Jane Russell, um, Monroe, Hawks. The the three uh, big ones, right? The big ones. Uh, we could talk a little bit about uh, Lorelai's fiancé in the movie. Just to show, you know, the the polar opposites when you think of this woman and all the, the men that are just, you know, drooling over her. And she's engaged to Mr. Esmond. Yeah, I... I wanted to to bring this up because she's engaged to um, Gus Esmond Jr., uh, played by Tommy Noonan, and there's this old school Hollywood genre, the the Gold Digger movie, mm-hmm. right, where it's like, oh, these two women they're they're competing to try and win the heart of a rich man to take him out of mm-hmm. the out of the slums, right? You know, it's an old school yeah. genre, tried and true. In this, it's almost like a parody or a satire of that, to where they're like, oh, why are you marrying him for his money? And she's just so upfront about it. And it's so, like, it's kind of, like, refreshing, and it's and it's really funny. It's refreshing, but, you know, it's also telling that she's not just one of those girls from the other movies, you know, with the, I want your money, not his money. It's like, she's like, no, I'm legitimately in love with him, but the fact that you have money and he's going to inherit, it's just going to, you know, make my life that much better. She's like, I mean, it's gravy, you know? Yeah, it's gravy. And then, you know, you have Dorothy, on the other hand, who's, you know... She's into attractive men, and who cares if they don't, you know, have money? It's, you know, attraction, and it's emotion, and moralize very much. I mean, I could argue if it's emotionally involved. No, but I mean, they talk about people of the past, where she's like, you know, 
you've dated guys with practically no money. And Dorothy's like, that doesn't matter to me. And that's what Lorelai, you know, Lorelai's more on the, I want comfort and security. And you have Dorothy that's the, you know, I want to have a good time, but I also want to be with somebody that, you know, makes me happy that I have actual feelings for. And I think that's fascinating because that's like the thesis of the movie. It's love versus security. Yeah. And I had an issue, a little issue with the ending because I felt like the movie never took a hard stance on that. Because usually you come up with these like vice versa, you know, Mm -hmm. um, theses in your movies where, oh, these two people, they're trying to achieve the same goal, you know, find a man, be married and Mm -hmm. be happy, right? But both of them have different viewpoints. And usually by the end of the movie, the the one that has the true right one, the director's like, well, that's the one that succeeded. The other yeah. one failed. In this one, they both succeed. They both get married at the end. They're both yep. happy. They're both like side, side, side eyeing each other. Like, at the altar. At the altar being like, hey, honey, you know, they didn't sign no prenup. Like, like I, that's what I feel, and I'm like, is there gonna be, like, a sequel to this? No. Is it, like, like it, Blondes in Peru, where they just gallivant and, like, fall no, over the No, I, I think the side eye is more like, you know, we finally did it. You know, we finally found people that we want to spend the rest of our lives with. These two girls from Little Rock finally from made Little it. From Little Rock. And, you know, surprisingly, for a movie with such a big song as Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, Two Girls from Little Rock is the song that gets stuck in my head more often than not. Oh, it's one of the best songs in the movie. And I think that song's from the original play. I oh, think okay. that one and Diamonds and another one is from the original play, I believe. It might be Bye Bye or... or, or the Bye Bye Baby, yeah. Bye Bye a... Baby. The There's also the um the Olympics ones where it's like, is anyone looking for love? That's a great song. Great sequence. I think we should talk about that because mm-hmm. we have the U.S. men's Olympic team that's on uh the... The cruise ship. The cruise ship. I was going to say the yacht. I'm like, that's not right. But, you know, I think it's fascinating that they kind of tied in something that is historically accurate. You know, you, you might see the Olympic team on there and just how magnetic Dorothy and Lorelai are where, you know, everyone's looking at them as they're getting onto the ship because, of course, you know, they're beautiful women and beautiful clothing. But, you know, just, you know, with, with a snap of the fingers, Dorothy's able to pull together a party in their stateroom. And it's all the Olympic guys and other girls in the ship. And it's just like... Damn, Dorothy, I want to hang out with you. You seem like a good time. Uh, I mean, Dorothy strikes me as the kind of, kind of, okay. Um, this movie, I feel like both these women's got one goal, and that's fuck bitches make money. They, these two women are straight up gangsters out there. They are slaying ass left and right. If they wanted it, they can get it. And this is a 50s movie, so you're not going to see any of that. You're just going to see parties we get the uh anyone looking for love scene where you know it's entirely in like the gymnasium section of the cruise <laughs> that fool lordy um, and i mean it's like you know really good job from i'm assuming they're gymnast dancers probably a mix i i would imagine so the i wanted to talk about that sequence because you know that sequence you know kicks in and that's jane russell's like big song that's her moment right and it's going on, I'm like, oh, this is like a really fun, fun scene mm-hmm. or whatever. It's very cheeky. It's very cheeky. And as I'm watching it, and I'm like, wow, that is a lot. That is a lot of barely clothed grown men. Yeah. And then they start doing like, the, they're bending over, doing these weird stretches. And I'm like, how, how the fuck this get past mm-hmm. the censors? That one. Because she didn't use the rackets on them. 
Was that wait? What is that like a thing? Well, because you see, she's walking through the the rows of guys. She's got and like she the... is inches away from just straight spanking all these dudes with a racket. So that's why I'm like, that's probably how they got away with it because she's just walking back and forth. She's not doing anything provocative in the scenes. You know, if she is looking at somebody, she's looking at honey a guy's bicep. Honey, she is. She is being very provocative in yeah, this entire but, movie. But this isn't like movies today where it's like, you know, there is nothing to leave any imagination to. In this movie, it's just, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. I mean, look, t- tongue-in-cheek is, is one thing, but like, that. I'm just saying, there's there's a few parts in this movie where I'm side-eyeing it, and I'm like, you are inch, inches away from being like like, having this whole sequence cut out. Like, every time Marilyn Monroe walks in, and I'm like, how low is that cut on her dress? My god. what It's like the gold dress? The gold dress? Yeah, I mean, it's her back. So, mm. I mean, it's, it'd be very different if it was the front that was that cut. Mm. I mean, that's something you see now, you know, with people going to award shows, and it's like, you're practically wearing nothing. But, I mean, with that, it's just, it's the back of her dress. But that entire sequence, I think my favorite part is when Dorothy gets knocked into the water. I, I laughed at that one. I thought that was like a really well set up gag. It wasn't. It was an accident. Oh, really? Yeah. She wasn't supposed to go into the water, but when she, you know, crouches down so the guys can jump over her and in, into the water, the guy really does catch her in the neck with his knee and <laughs> takes her into the water. But it just shows the professionalism of Jane Russell where they pull her out of the water and she's still singing and they carry her and hand her a drink. So that wasn't scripted. They knocked her in, and Howard Hawks liked it enough that he was like, we gotta put this in the movie. Mm, oh, okay. and Howard Hawks, like, probably, like, rewrote the whole, like, last shot on the fly to keep it in. It was probably like, you know what? That looks a lot better than just, you know, her walking away and getting a drink. It's like, no, Dorothy gets chucked into the water. You drag her out. She's still singing and ready for another drink. Let's go. I, I, again, there's so many good little sequences and numbers mm-hmm. in the movie but I, I think I mentioned this at the top. There is this weird thing about the movie where there's like 45 minutes and it's just plot. Yeah. I forgot it was a musical. Like, I God, because the movie starts and it starts with, you know, the, L- Little Rock, right? Little Rock. And it's like, okay, yeah, cabaret singers, big, cool, fun, fun musical number. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, bye, you know, bye, bye, my love, all that stuff. Bye, bye, baby. Yeah. Bye, bye, baby. And then right after that, it's, you know, anybody looking for love. Mm-hmm. And then plot yeah it is is this weird triangle with like um sir francis piggy and his yes yeah you know beekman and and lorelei and the wife and dorothy and malone Mm -hmm. and it's it's very plotty right it's this very interesting we're looking for love on the ship yeah and we don't get another song until they're in france yeah and i almost felt like that that song when they're in france where it's you know um Oh, I don't even remember the song. It's um, they're like look, they're like oh, you know, love whatever. They can't believe they kicked us out. Something like yeah. that. They get kicked out of the hotel. And I almost felt like when that love was... goes wrong, nothing goes right. Exactly. When love goes wrong, nothing goes right. When they had that song, I almost felt like was that was that just in there because you you need to meet a quota or did you like just forget you needed to have more songs in this? No, I mean that was you know there for the scene. I think in Europe that song was cut out of the movie. Because they thought it was inappropriate that there was young boys there while they were singing and dancing. And I was just like, 
look, there's some shimmying that uh, uh, Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe do that probably made those boys into men in that in that uh, moment. I mean, also being able to say, yeah, I was able to see Marilyn Monroe and Jane, Jane Russell with my own eyes. That's, you know, also kind of clout you hold for the rest of your life. But I would I would think those those boys remember the shimmying far more. Oh, of course. Of course they do. But um speaking of kids in this movie, there's there's one actor who yes. I think is absolutely hilarious I, I, and he's like eight. Yes, I, I didn't want to tell you about him. He's one of the best characters of the movie. He also has the best line in the movie. Yes, he does. So um I'm talking about uh Henry Spotford the third, played yeah. by George Winslow. And he is supposed to be, like, the heir apparent to, like, this big oil thing, right? Oil, I think so. And his family owns, like, Pennsylvania. You know, something. Something huge. We we gotta lay down why he's so important to the storyline. So, Lorelai isn't looking for men on this cruise. She's looking for somebody for Dorothy because she Mm -hmm. wants Dorothy to settle down and be with somebody that's well-off, like, her soon-to-be husband. And, you know, Lorelai's going through the, um, what is it? Oh, the, the shipping manifest. The, or not, maybe not the, sh- not the shipping manifest, the, um, uh, uh, passenger list. The passenger list to see, you know, what men are available. And, you know, if it's a man with a valet, that means it's a man with money. And they find Henry Spofford third, And she's able to talk to, um, the maitre d' of the restaurant there to kind of set them up where, Henry Spofford III sits at their table with them every night at dinner so they can, you know, just organically fall in love with each other. I mean, maybe not that organically. No, I mean, sometimes, sometimes, you know, love needs some help. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, um, there, and then Henry Spofford III appears, appears, sits down, and it's like, oh, he's like eight years old. He's the heir apparent to this, and he's incredibly wealthy, and he's like, oh, I get to go around and, like, do whatever I want. He has a very monotone voice, too. (laughs) He does. And there's a part in the movie when Lorelai, who, uh, again, I do not think she's a very uh, faithful gal, if I were... Because she is definitely trying to get Beekman to, like, like pay up or pay out kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, but it's even a thing before they go on the cruise. Because she's supposed to go on the cruise with Gus. Yeah. And Gus is very... I don't want to say afraid of his father, but, you know, he he's, he's very... He's spineless. He's spineless. That's a good word. He's spineless, and he drops out of going on the cruise because Dad says no. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dorothy goes with her to be her chaperone. But she also tells him, uh, Dorothy, you know what? If he doesn't chase me to Europe and, you know, try to win me back, that's on him. I'm going to move on. Mm. So it's not this thing where, you know, ooh, I'm I'm a kept promise woman. It's like, you know, you want to be spineless and listen, you know, to what your dad has to say? I'll move on. It's okay. Yeah, I I like how she is kind of matter of fact. Lorelai is fascinating because she is like, like almost a purely logical beast. She's got all her cards on the table. Yeah, but... She, she's, um, she gets caught with a, uh, Malone catches Lorelai and Beekman in, like, the throes of a, uh, story about, uh, Africa and pythons strangling people. And yes, which results in, you know, him taking pictures through a porthole. Yes, that looks very suspect. So, um, Lorelai and Dorothy hatch a plan that Lorelai's gonna sneak in while Dorothy distracts Malone and she's gonna, like, Steal the film. Steal the film. But she accidentally gets locked in the room and tries to, like, get out through the port porthole. But because, you know, Marilyn Monroe is a full-sized woman, guys. Like, oh, hey, hey. In, like, in she, all the right places. In all the right places. <laughs> and she gets stuck in the window. 
and little little Henry Spofford the third comes over and he's like, "What are you doing? Are you a thief?" And she's like, "No, please, can you help me out?" And he's like, "I will for for two reasons. One, I, it is my duty as a man, and two, because I you have some strange animal magnetism." <laughs> and it, it okay, is... I'm gonna stop you right there. Yes, your accent or your interpretations of. Spofford. Both their voices are awful. Horrible. So would you would you like to give it a shot? No, I won't because I can't do it. But just letting you know, I know I'm I'm the voice guy. You know the yeah. the dumb voice guy in this podcast. I I need to listen to it a few more times. You know, I'll drip me sure I can pull out of the drop of a hat. But like yeah, Spofford, but, he's new. He's he's new to me. But you have to tap into you know eight year old Dean. Eight year old Dean. You know Pixie Sticks and and uh, Mortal Kombat. But it's one of the funniest things because. Again, the movie is so tongue-in-cheek, and this kid looks... He's a little kid. Like, yeah. it's not like, you know, oh, he might be, like, like 16 playing a 14 or 13-year-old kind of thing. It's like, no, he's obviously, like, 8 or 9. Yeah. And he throws out the whole, I'm also doing it because you have some strange animal magnetism. And it's like, this is... This is one of those movies that is so sex-obsessed that it's barely under the surface. Oh, it is barely under the surface how horny this movie is it's you know also at the same time when they first meet him at that first dinner and he sits there and they're both in shock that it's a child it's not a man and they're like you know oh so uh driving alone huh and he goes yeah you know I, i've got a teacher i've got a trainer um i intend to have all three meals here every day but i can't enjoy the beauty of a woman and it's just like homie little homie like calm that, here was a jets man no nah, but he's a straight he's a straight chad right there oh yeah he's eight year olds he's eyeballing lorelei and dorothy up and down he's like sitting in between marilyn monroe and jane russell yeah that, that yes. boy has more cred than any man but um but yeah again the movie is is this fascinating little little like time like little capsule I'm not, not a time capsule but a little capsule of just very specific things that are going on in like ho like Hollywood movies right now, right? Because it's it's so horny but it can't really like be horny, right? Yeah, it's just it's a it, it's a sexy movie. Yeah, it's a provocative movie. Yeah, and it's, it's But a, not like, you know, like you yeah, you don't it, see anything obviously. No, it's, it's not 53. Yeah, it's not inappropriate. It's just, you know, it's very cheeky. Um I love that scene where he helps her out of the porthole. But I love that scene even more when Piggy shows up and he gets under, um, Spofford gets under the, the blanket to make it look like she's sitting on the railing. Mm -hmm. And you have Piggy take her hand and you know, he's like, yo, you're, you're soft, angelic, baby hand. You let know, go it, of my hand, damn it. And you just say, stop that. And then she's like, excuse me. And she goes, laryngitis, sorry, it's acting up. And you have, you know, Spofford that's just kind of like, you know. Why do you trust him? Do you not know that his intentions aren't honorable? And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, get me out of the porthole." Uh, see, uh, that's that's this is kind of like the rough part about the movie, right? Because there's so many little funny bits, yeah, that it's it's difficult to talk about it without just being like, "You guys just gotta watch it." Like it is just funny. Yeah, because I mean, this is one of those movies that you could just sit there and quote because there's so many quips in it, and it's like I love you know smart witty banter. And in this movie, it's just loaded with it. Yeah, a lot of it comes from Jane Russell, who's yes. playing the biggest smartass uh, I think a a woman was able to play in 1953. It it is it is a lovely, lovely performance. But I wanted to ask you, you know, 
Because we're, again, musicals. Yes. Favorite number, favorite scene. Okay, so probably favorite number is going to be Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend because, I mean... The iconicness of it. The iconicness of the scene, but just how grandiose the scene is. Because, I mean, this takes you back to, like, the Ziegfeld Folly days where they're using women as, you know, lighting fixtures and there's just so much going on in the scenes. There's so many backup dancers. You have all the men dressed the same in the tuxedos. It's also, like, the scene where you're like, oh, so this is where Madonna, like, like birthed her career oh, idea. absolutely. I mean, I don't think she birthed her career idea, but, I mean, Material Girls is basically, the, the music video is a rip of this movie. Yeah. Um, but, I mean. Th- this is the first time it cemented Monroe as an icon. Like, it's this, yeah. and then in Seven Year Itch, where the dress and the train mm-hmm. great, right? Like, those two images cement monroe as the icon did you know that diamonds are a girl's best friend the scene was shot again later in cinemascope Mm -hmm. they were doing it for like the whole um demonstration of like cinemascope as a thing oh really okay yeah so they reshot it again and i think it took them like three and a half hours to reshoot the entire scene and i was just like jesus like wow i mean that scene is just larger than life and then you get it on cinemascope and then I guess years later, when she passed, they used that performance as part of her tribute. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so it's like, you know, this big part of her her career, this, you know, shining moment, like, you know, where you knock that Homer out of the park. The, the star-making performance. Yes, this performance. And I mean, this scene is just, it's been used in so many music videos, movies, it's been paid tribute a lot, so... It's the it's the sequence in the movie where everyone knows the sequence. Even if they don't know the movie, they know the mm-hmm. sequence. It's like when you say somebody, you know, um, third start of the right strain on till morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, that's from Peter Pan. Some people, like, know that phrase, but they don't know the movie. Yeah. And it, I I really do think that Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend is, is the showstopper. It's the, oh, yeah. It's the big, flashy scene. If anybody looking for love is Jane Russell's big number. Mm-hmm. Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend, that's Monroe's big number. Yeah. But my favorite scene, I mean, again, it involves Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Yeah. But it's the court scene at the end of the movie where Jane Russell, or Dorothy, she dresses up just like Lorelai to go to court to try to plead her case because Dor- uh, Lorelai is accused of stealing uh, Piggy's wife's tiara. Yeah. And... You know, she's fighting them and saying, I don't have it. And when I did have it, it was given to me as a gift. And they're not. It, it, was, it was hush up uh, money for, for don't tell my wife you and me are uh, talking. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm dancing with you every night when, you know, oh, honey, I'm, I'm walking around the ship. You know, I'm just getting some air. That, yeah. Dancing on the ship. Out for air. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of subtext going on here. I don't think here. they could see your quotations. Yeah, there's a lot of subtext going on here. But uh, Dorothy decides that she's going to go down to the jailhouse, or the courthouse, dressed up as Lorelai. And, I mean, Jane Russell puts on such a good performance imitating Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And eventually she breaks out into song and dance at Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, wearing the most revealing costume. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but, Lord. you know, because by this point, they're in France. Uh, first line, you know, in Diamonds Are His Girl's Best Friend is, uh, the French are glad to die for love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seeing these two women, that would stop anybody in their tracks because they're gorgeous. 
but the all the men, the deputies that are working in the court, even the judge, everyone is just, you know, like like a big stakes in front of like, oh my god, you know. And she breaks out into song and dance, and all the deputies of the court, they start dancing and they start clapping with her. It turns into a whole party scene. Turns into a straight hoedown. Even the you know, the defense attorney that's there to, you know, push charges because she stole the tiara. Even he's kind of like, oh, wow, you know, look at her. <laughs> I love it because then the judge jumps in. He's like, stop it. Everybody stop dancing and singing. What's wrong with you people? And I'm like, as he's dabbing the sweat from his forehead. Yeah. And I, I love that because that's I, I think that is my favorite scene in the movie as well, because it's just this. It is peak absurdity yes. of, of this movie because the movie it is a it is a comedy. It falls a lot into like the screwball comedies of like you know Hawks is known for, but in that moment, it's like it almost is like a, a Mel Brooks era gag where he's like, "Why are you all singing and dancing? Like, is this normal? Is this normal for everyone here?" And they're like, "What? Wait, wait, it's it's weird for you. It's like we've broken the third wall. Yeah, or fourth wall. Fourth wall. Sorry, yeah. we've broken the fourth wall, and we finally have someone. Wait, we're in a musical. I didn't know that." You're like, we, we stopped singing for 45 goddamn minutes. We're in a musical. I thought we were in a courtroom drama now. But I I, I think that is, like, by far one of the best scenes in the movie. It, it is my favorite. And I'm happy to know it's yours as well. Yeah. But what's your favorite musical number? Or is is it tied with this? Uh, the thing is, is like, okay, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend is, like, definitely the showstopper. It's probably the best. It's the showstopper's most impressive song in the movie. I think the best song is Bye Bye. Bye Bye Baby. Bye Bye Baby. Mostly because I, I comes like really early. It's really fun. And it feels like musical effort. Musicals of those time where, you know, you've got maybe these people you don't really know, but all of a sudden they're singing with you. Everyone knows the same song. Yeah. I, I really liked that one because it was also. It also helps set up a lot of story Mm -hmm. and things like that. And it was a very economical song because we get the sense of Lorelai and Gus's relationship. We get the the sense of Dorothy as a character. We get this. It it sets up a lot. I think that was my favorite song in the movie. But it's my, yeah, that was my favorite song. But goddamn, Diamond's a Girl's Best Friend is like an undeniable like banger. Yeah. But um, where where else did we want to go? Where well, else did we want to go? I think we have to talk about costumes. Because, I mean, this movie, you know, sets are beautiful. The costumes are beautiful. The, the women are beautiful. The women are beautiful. It's a beautiful movie all around. But the costumes were designed by William Trevia. Mm-hmm. I'm not too versed with him. But apparently he was Marilyn Monroe's costume designer for eight of her movies. Okay, so I did a little bit of research on Monroe, mm-hmm. and yeah, he did her costumes for almost all of her movies. Like he, like those two just got along really well. Mm-hmm. He did the the white dress for the Seven Year Itch, the one where the steam grate, you know, most famous it. dress in, in he, cinema. Yes, yeah. one of the most famous dresses. I'm pretty sure it's eight of her films. Yeah, I, I mean, we're we're getting into the weeds, but. Yeah, the costuming in this movie is... Breathtaking. (laughs) The women in those dresses are breathtaking, let's be honest. That too, yes. I think the key about the costumes in this movie, and especially... um, What was his name again? Treville? Uh, Trevia. William Trevia. Okay. Trevia's... I think the key 
he was very, very good at was making the women in the dresses either, like, smokehouse mm-hmm. hot or was able to play down certain um attributes to make, like, censorship work. Yeah. He, because, again, Monroe and Russell are very, very beautiful in this yeah. movie. They really fill out those dresses. And it's almost like how... And I'm like, how did you get through censors like this? And I'm like, well, it's probably because the costume guy knows exactly how to the inch he can give these women and still make it, like, you know, work. I know I'm, like, really obsessively referring to the fact that how this gets past censors. Guys, you gotta watch this movie. (laughs) This movie was made in 1953. Eisenhower was president. I don't know. Watch the movie. This movie's turning 70 this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, the 53, yeah, 2023. Yeah, this August is going to turn 70 years old. Uh, I mean, a 70-year-old movie, it still lives up. It's, it doesn't feel dated in the sense where, like, you know, the, the banter or the comedy. It aged so well. Because Beekman, uh, Piggy, Piggy, he would be, like, in any other, like, like movie of this era, he would be incredibly pl- problematic. Yeah. He's like... Oh, you own a diamond mine in South Africa? Oh, you're running around at your wife? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, totally screams, like, 2023, totally non-problematic character. But I think because they know how much a buffoon everyone in the movie is, and also, I kind of want to bring this up, this is, like, a pretty, like, pro-feminist kind of movie. Oh, very, very. You know, because, you know, I I want to speak out of turn, because, you know, hashtag, you know, fucking neckbeard white dudes over here. But, like, the the women in the movie, they are not the victims. They're, no. like, they're, like, ogled. Like, you know, every guy in the movie is like, yo, look, you, you see those two? God damn, you see how fucking stacked those two are? But they're, like, yeah, we know we're hot. We use that, you know? Like, I think yeah. in the movie, they, um, Dorothy goes up to Lorelai and it's like, hey, you're gonna need to get that money back to get, you know, the, the you're gonna need to get some money to pay for the TR if you can't find it. Yeah. And she's like, Oh no! How much is that going to be? Oh, about fifteen hundred bucks. And she's like, "No, it's fifteen thousand. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, that's going to be like fifteen thousand bucks." And she's like, "Oh, that that's about hour forty-five. I can get that about an hour forty-five. <laughs> and I'm like, "Honey, honey, like Jesus, how 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 good are you in the sack to get fifteen grand in an hour forty-five? Well, apparently that good, but <laughs> I, but in, I guess. But in, in this movie, it's just you know. Lorelai knows how to network to get to men that are, you know, wealthy. Yeah. It's not a thing where, you know, she's really using her body. It's just, no, she's using her brain with, you know. She she has weaponized her body. She's weaponized her looks. Oh, yeah. But it's not a thing where it's like, you know, I have to do some things I probably shouldn't do. It's more, you know, no, I could spot, you know, a guy with a lot of money and I'm so cute that I could get him to fall in love with me. Ah, so that was your play. I see how it is. Yeah, weren't you working in a comic book shop a couple days a week when we first met? I was very poor, yes. So yeah, (laughs) clearly I'm not in it for the money. Ah, yeah, she just thought it was richer than I actually was. But the thing is with the movie that is just so, like, like, interesting about that is, like, the, you know, weaponized sexuality, they weaponize their femininity. It's a thing where, like, they are in the driver's seat the entire movie. Like, there is not a point where it's, like, Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe are over their heads. They're like, don't don't worry, fellas. Like, we, 
we got this. Yeah, you know? that's why I love when they get to Paris and the line of credit's taken from them and they don't have a place to stay and Malone offers uh, Dorothy, you know, hey, I'm staying in this hotel over and she's like, nope, don't need your hotel, don't need your help, we'll figure it out. We're going to work to pay off the money. And it's just, you know, it's like, it's refreshing to see that versus, you know, they're not damsels in distress. Hmm. Like, they don't need help. They just need each other. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm referencing a whole other part of the movie, but it's another funny bit with Malone and Dorothy and, and Monroe and uh, Lorelai. When they're trying to get the film from him? When, yeah, and they're like, oh, oh, there's only one place the the, the uh, film could possibly be. In his pants. Exactly. Or we're going to have to get his pants off of him. If we can't get his pants off, we don't deserve the name woman. Yeah, that, that's like, one another great one-liner of the movie. And there, and that's the thing. There's so many little one-liners, little quick gas, little and, quips. And, and it's, it's delivered by Monroe. Because, I mean, Dorothy's the one that's, you know, sharp, you know, witty humor throughout the movie. And Lorelai's the one that, you know, delivers that line. It was like, damn, Lorelai. True, but damn. She, They know. <laughs> it, it's the thing where I think it's a very nice movie where... These, you know, beautiful bombshells are like, you know, yeah, we're, we're fucking gorgeous. Like, yeah, we can yeah. kind of get anything we want out of these guys. It doesn't take that. It's not that hard. And yeah. I'm like, there's and then, so few movies like that now. No. And I mean, you see that even when they do succeed in getting his pants off, it's not done in an inappropriate way. They spill water on him. They take the pants off. The, I'm guessing he's a ship attendant. The, the, the valet. One of the valets comes to the room and he's like, Oh, wow, you know, what's going on here? He's like, lucky you. And then Dorothy, you know, she goes and gets her um, her robe, her pink frilly robe, puts it on Malone and says, you know, can you please help him to his room? He's not feeling well. And he's out of the scene. Yeah. It's like, they got the film, and that's it. They they completed it's, the task that they were, you it, know. It's the had. thing where, all, like, all the subtext is, oh, these women are plowing their way to success. No. But the actual text of the movie is... No, they're they're not. They're just flying quick and whatever. It's I I just really like the movie. I think it's a very very fun movie that I'm surprised at how like kind of like forward and like feminist it is, and oh, how yeah. like how easily this like this age like a fine wine. I mean, know? and it's complete coincidence that we're recording it on International Women's Day. It just worked out that way. Hey, so happy International Women's yeah, Day! Yeah, to all the women. But it's just it kind of worked out that way. But, yeah, I mean, I love that this woman, this not woman, these women don't really need a man, but when they do want one, they want it for love. Yeah, they want the best man possible for the for the job. Yeah, and, you know... Or the, best man possible for the position. For the position, yes, because you could be replaced at any time. And mm. it's like, I, I love that, you know, they have that confidence, they use their brains, it's very refreshing versus, you know... I'm just in it for a good time until, you know, it stops working and then we move on to the next. Yeah, I this is a very good movie. I very it, much enjoyed it. It is. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I hope more people watch this because it's a great film. Mm-hmm. It's from that golden age of Hollywood where we're still getting these great, you know, over-the-top musicals. These big Technicolor movies. Yeah. We're, you know, getting into CinemaScope. So, yeah, it's just a beautiful movie. Um... There's so many beautiful costumes in this movie, and you have beautiful women that, you know, complement these costumes. But, you know, it's like, because I'm used to, like, Edith Head. She was a big costume designer at the time. Mm -hmm. But I'm definitely going to look into William Trivia. Yes, Trivia. 
I'm definitely going to look into him and see what other movies he's worked on because I mean, man, he 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 knows how to how to make a make a dress. That and we've also seen two of his costumes in person. Oh, really? From this movie? Oh, from the Academy Museum? From the Academy Museum, they have um, uh, two girls from Little Rock. Those costumes from the beginning of the movie, the hmm. red ones. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are on display at the museum, and I mean, obviously, I knew where they were from at the time. I mean, they're beautiful on the screen, but in person, they're just as beautiful. And it's like 70 years later, and they still look phenomenal. They still hold up. And I think that those costumes were actually saved by Demi Reynolds. Tying it all back, baby. Yeah. Tying it all back in. I told you, Debbie Reynolds was, you know, really pro, we need to preserve things from Hollywood. And I think she got a majority of, like, Marilyn's, you know, big costumes from her movies. So, thank you, Debbie Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but... I'm looking, and we are closing in on an hour of recording, and we usually like to keep this at about an hour. Do you have any any final boo facts, any final thoughts you wanted to hit out on uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes? Well, it's a fact that we were talking about earlier. We were talking about the tiara. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, the tiara is a cute. The tiara scene is a cute scene. Yeah, where she's you know trying well, to fit it around her neck, it's like, like a you necklace put it on your head. And she's like, I'm not dumb, and then. You know, Mrs. Beekman's like, no, you place it on your head and you just see her eyes light up and she's like, you do wear it on your head. And then, you know, once she takes it back and she, you know, takes off one of her cuffs and wraps her bracelet around it and she's, you know, modeling, you know, Dorothy's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just trying to see how it would look. And Dorothy's like, oh, God, you know, now we have a new obsession, the tiara. But the tiara in the movie was $15,000. That's what Dorothy says they need to make back to pay off the the debtors that are working for the family. So in 2022 movie, or 20, Money. 2022, oh, we're not even 2022. We're in 2023. Sorry. In modern day money. In modern day money, this tiara would be worth 150000 Jesus Christ. Yeah, I would not want to have that lost on a, on a cruise ship. Yeah, I mean, in the, the 50s, 15 Gs is a lot, but 150000 my God, that's a lot for a tiara. <laughs> uh. But- with that an amazing movie i give it two thumbs up uh i hope more people watch this this is one of those movies we can't let you know get lost because there's so many great musicals from the 50s through now Mm -hmm. there's also like out of all the monroe movies like this is like this is one of the good ones this is a very good one yeah i mean i've seen a good amount of monroe movies but this is my number one more more than some like it hot. Well, I guess that is a like a Tony Curtis Jack Lemon movie more than Monroe, but you know, I honestly I agree with you. This is probably like the the better Monroe movie out of out of the Monroe movies I've seen. Very very funny. Still holds up. It is so much fun. It is so good. It's a beautiful movie. Very pretty. And I really and I'm really just like kind of flabbergasted at how just delightful it was watching it. I laughed. I actually laughed during the wow. movie. Like a normal like oh. Oh, that's like a good, funny bit. But yeah, so uh, two big thumbs up from me. Awesome. But next week, we're finishing up Musical March. We are. We are. It's it's your last movie. Yeah, it's my last pick of the month. And coincidentally, there's a tie-in to Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend in this movie. And if I know what movie you're talking about, there's also a tie-in to Sound of Music. Yes, there is. And, and it might be a tie-in to... Singing the Rain somewhere in there? Possibly. There is just so much stuff mixed in this movie. 
And oddly enough, I saw this movie before I saw Gentleman Prefers Blonde. So I was very confused when I heard Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend in this movie. I'm like, what? But we're going to be watching Moulin Rouge next week. Oh, Lord. I am so excited. I'm pumped. I mean, Baz Luhrmann is nominated for uh, a Best Director and a Best Film category right now for Elvis. Yes, he is. And this is, uh, this is a big one. Moulin Rouge, this is still a movie I think people go and look back fondly on. This is one of those movies that is still like like theater kid like 101. Like you have to love Moulin Rouge if you're going to be a theater kid in high school. This changed a young boo's life seeing this movie for the first time. I mean, I, I said this off mic, but uh, Gentleman for Blondes has big boo energy in this. Yeah. Moulin Rouge, I imagine watching it again for the first time in like a decade is going to have huge boo energy. Oh yeah, I think it's been maybe close to a decade that I haven't seen this movie. Really? Yeah, that's another one. I don't like to watch my favorites that often, and Moulin Rouge, man, I burned through that VHS, through that DVD, I was just watching it, listening to the soundtrack, so it's going to be interesting to come back after all this time. Uh, but if you wanted to see that one, hear that one, where can they go? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. And that is The Film Vault on YouTube. I know I'm kind of late on uploading things, but I swear that's going to change. And we're going to start uploading some more beautiful slideshows Yay! where you can like and comment. <laughs> And uh, tell me that uh, I am a hack editor. But if you want to follow us on social media, you can also go to... The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, trivia, upcoming episodes, and our random adventures. And with that... We'll see you next week at The Film Club. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.